Welcome, everyone. So good to have all of you at all of our churches, Bluntstown, Chipley, and Mariana. Hey, if today is your first time with us at any of our churches, I am so glad that you're here because we're in our third week of our series entitled Nav Plan, and uh, you couldn't really have picked a better day to be a part of this series. I mean, this is a great day for you to jump in. I would encourage you, if you've missed any of these talks, go back and watch the first two online, or you can listen to them on our app or online, uh, because this is a series of conversations that are really just taking us on a journey of discovering what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus and have a growing, strong, mature adult faith. So whether you're with us and you've been on a follower of Jesus for a short period of time or many years, or maybe you're with us today and you're just trying to figure this whole God thing out, what it means to follow Jesus, and you still have a lot of questions, you have a lot of doubts about what that means, here's why this series is so important for every one of us, and that is this. Everything has a starting point. I mean, think about it. You had a starting point. Everything in your life had a starting point. Your relationships, your career, your good habits, your bad habits, I mean, they all had a starting point. And while we don't often think about it, while everything had a starting point, so does your faith. See, for many of you, the starting point for your faith or the idea of faith or the faith that you had, at one point, it began maybe as a child. And that's where a lot of us have a starting point for faith. In other words, somebody that you admired, they told you what they believed about God, they told you what they believed about the Bible, and that's what you began to believe. And that's how your faith started. But then you grew up and you got older and the type of faith that you were presented, it just didn't hold up under the experiences of life or even with the education that you went through. And you were taught things like, God answers prayer if you have enough faith, but he didn't answer your prayer. Or you were taught that God heals people, but he didn't heal your mom. So you found yourself going through some life experiences and everything you taught Everything you believed, it just doesn't hold up under the storms of life. So you drifted or you walked away from faith. And every once in a while, something has happened in your life and you just say, I, I, really, I really would like to reconsider this faith thing. Maybe, maybe there's more to it. Maybe I didn't understand. Maybe my framework for faith was not really the right framework. But you don't see how you can reconcile what you know with what you were taught as a child. And that's why a lot of us, we were taught a lot of things as a child about a faith, and they weren't wrong, they just were for a child. But then, as an adult, we're experiencing adult-sized problems with a child-sized faith. And that's why, for this period of eight weeks, we're asking this question that if you didn't know anything about God and faith, Where would you start? If you could somehow forget everything you know, if you could reboot your brain so that you knew nothing about faith but you could start all over, where would you start? Where would you start as an adult if you didn't know anything about God and faith or about the Christian faith? Like what questions would you ask? What would you read? Maybe, Maybe what might you learn? that you didn't understand as a child that was different than what you had been told. And, that, and that's why we're diving into this series and we're digging a little deeper to say, if we knew nothing about God and faith and we're starting or starting over as adults, because here's what we've learned around here. Every once in a while, as an adult, you need a restart. You need a reset on your faith. Where would we start to explore faith and to experience a vibrant, life-giving kind of faith? And so where we're headed today is this. 
just like your faith had a starting point, every faith tradition or every faith movement, it had a starting point as well. Don't miss that. Just like your personal faith had a starting point, every faith tradition or every faith movement, it had a starting point. So today what I wanna do is I wanna take you back to the beginning where three major faith traditions began. And I know history probably doesn't sound very exciting to most, most of you, but here's why this is going to benefit you and here's why I think you're going to enjoy this. Because what happened at the beginning directly addresses one of the biggest life tensions that every one of us experienced that all of us have felt at some point in our life. So I want you to hang with me, but first, let me give you a little bit of history. Now, you may not know this, but three of the major world religions or major world traditions, they are uh, religious traditions, I should say, they all have the same starting point. Islam, Judaism, and Christianity all have a few things in common. They all teach that there was a single God who created the heavens and the earth. And they all teach that the first man on the earth was Adam. Now, you may not believe that, but that's okay. But these, all, th all three of these traditions, they teach that. Also, all three of these religious traditions, they teach that we messed up the world. Now, I don't think anybody would argue with that, that we've messed up the world, right? Especially if you were here last week and you learned that we are sinners, not mistakers. So if you weren't here last week, you might wanna go back and listen to that one. Now, the other thing all three of these religious, teach, religious tr traditions teach is that God created a perfect world. He placed us in it but our sin messed it up. So all three of these religious traditions hold one thing in common as well, and that is this, that a single man that God chose, God chose this man so that he could speak to him and to use him to begin cleaning up the mess that we had made in this world. And the man they agree on was this man named Abraham. Now, here's what makes this so fascinating. God saw the mess that we had made of his world, saw all the injustice and all the evil and the pain that we had caused people that he created and that he loved. And, and if you think it's bad now in our world, the injustice in Abraham's day, it was really bad. It was far worse. I mean, you can't imagine the injustice of the ancient world. I mean, there was no law, think about that. There was no law, there was no civil society. There were no nations as we know them now. It was survival of the fittest. It was survival of the most powerful and the richest. And when God saw this chaotic world that would be so unimaginable and so offensive to us today, he had a choice. He could wade into the mess and pick a starting point to clean it up or he could just hang a condemned out of order sign on the world and just let it destroy itself, basically. But you know what? Because of God's incredible compassion and his amazing love, he chose not to hang an out of order sign on the world. So somewhere around 1876 BC, God walked into our mess with this man Abraham instead of walking away. And he chose Abraham as his starting point to fix the mess that we had made in this world. Now, here's what's so interesting about Abraham. He was a normal guy with real human issues. 
I mean, why God chose him was nothing other than an act of grace. He, he was not this spare, special, spiritual kind of person. As a matter of fact, to tell you how flawed this guy was, at one point, Abraham was traveling with his wife, Sarah, and they're going through Egypt. And the Pharaoh of Egypt happens to see her. He takes a liking to her, and he tells his servants, he says, hey, I want that woman. Go get her and bring her to my palace. So the servants, they go to Abraham, and they say, hey, is this lady with you? Is she your wife? And Abraham pretty much knew why they were asking. He figured if he said, yeah, well, they're going to kill him, and they're going to take her. So Abraham, being the spiritual giant that he was at that time, he goes, no, she's my sister. You can just have her. I mean, she's all yours. And we're sitting here going, I can't imagine a sane human being, a man doing that, giving his wife to Pharaoh, to another person. Now, luckily, God intervened and he, before anything happened with the Pharaoh, and Abraham got her back. But, I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, that's the kind of man that Abraham was. Like, you think you have some marriage issues? Ain't nothing you got going on compared to what Abraham and Sarah had to work through. But here's the reality. God had to start somewhere with someone cleaning up this mess. So he started with this man, Abraham. Now, you might find all that interesting, but here's why this really matters to you and to me. Because God started a conversation with Abraham that is recorded in Genesis chapter 12. If you want to take your Bibles and go to Genesis chapter 12, and he addresses a tension that we wrestle with at some point in our life, every one of us at some point, regardless of whether you're a person of faith or you don't consider yourself a person of faith, but somewhere in life, we have all wrestled with this issue, with this tension. In fact, many of you have wrestled with it recently. Some of you are wrestling with it today. But the tension centers around this question. Where do I stand with God? Like, if there's a God, then how's everything between me and God? How does God feel about me? Does he care about me? Does God answer my prayers? Can I, can I even know that I'm good with God? Will I, will I ever have peace in my heart that he's happy with me? How do I know where I stand with God? Well, in this conversation between God and Abraham, there is a single statement that addresses this tension that we all have experienced and it answers this question, where do I stand with God? So I wanna show you this statement, and then I'm gonna leave you to wrestle this week as you consider, consider starting or restarting or reigniting your faith to saying, I want this adult, I want this life-giving, vibrant faith. So here's the first conversation. You've got your Bibles, I invite, I invite you to go with me to Genesis chapter 12. This is where we're gonna pick up, Genesis chapter 12, verse one. Here's the story. The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now, you got to understand something. You got to lean into the real life uh, events and the emotion that are happening in this story. Because at this point, Abraham and Sarah are older. In fact, the Bible tells us that they are really too old to have kids. And God looks at them and says, hey, in your old age, I want you to leave everything that is familiar to you. God wants you to leave your country, your people, your father's household. I want you to leave all your support, and I want you to go to a land that I'm going to show you. In other words, I want you to separate yourself. I want you to go to a new place because I'm starting over with mankind. I'm about to do a brand new thing. 
but I'm not even gonna tell you where I'm gonna send you. I just want you to, don't miss this, because we're gonna come back to this, I just want you to trust me. Follow my will, my plan, and my timing. Just trust me. I'll show you where to go. Now, can you imagine, like you're too old to have children, like you're not in an adventurous kind of spirit mindset probably most likely, and God comes and says, just trust me. Who would do that? But then, before Abraham can answer, God sweetens the deal a little bit. He says, well, I'm gonna make you three promises. He says, I'm doing a new thing, and so here's how you are going to be or play a part in this new thing. So I want you to listen to these promises because they're very fascinating. So promise number one is found in verse two. Notice what God promises Abraham. He says, I'm gonna make you a great nation and I'm gonna bless you. Now, here we are 4,000 years later and we pretty much know that this came true, right? I mean, the nation of Israel, they claim that they are that great nation. Some arid countries, they claim, no, it's us. Because here's the reality, a lot of nations came from Abraham. But nobody argues that Abraham birthed a great nation. Now, here's what I find surprising about this. When God decided to clean what we had messed up, his starting point was to take a man, don't miss this, and say, I'm gonna make a great nation out of you, but this man has no children. He has no descendants. I mean, think about it. Couldn't he have chosen a much faster way for somebody to be or create a great nation from? I mean, like it's gonna take forever if you choose a man who has no children. Like go out and find somebody who's already got five or six children, right? I mean, coming to a person who has no children and saying, I'm gonna make a great nation out of you would be like your house catching on fire and you calling 911 and saying, hey, um, my house is on fire. Can you come put the fire out? And they'll go, yeah, we'll be there as soon as we can. We just need to build a fire station, get us a fire truck and get us a fire crew. Give us a year or two and we'll be right over there. Well, that's kind of what it's like. It makes no sense, right, for God to come to a man who's got no children. But here's the thing. God saw the big picture, and God had a big plan. So he says to Abraham, he says, listen, I'm choosing you, Abraham, to birth a great nation, and through that nation, I'm gonna do something significant to address the mess that humanity has made in this world. In fact, listen to what else he promised. Here's promise two, next part of verse two. He says, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Now, I'm just curious, all of our campuses, Blountstown, Chipley, Mariana, if you have heard of Abraham before I started this conversation with you today, would you raise your hand? Now, I mean, it's pretty much everybody, all of our campuses, pretty much everybody knows who Abraham, we've heard of him. I mean, it's pretty amazing when you think about it. Well, how about this guy? How many of you have heard of this guy? Like before today, have you ever heard of this guy? Does anybody know who he is? Like, you don't know who he is, much less how to pronounce his name. Like, here's what's crazy about this guy. This guy was a very famous king in the time of Abraham. He was the king of Elam. You can turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 14, and you find him there. So he was like a very famous king. But here we are, like 4,000 years later, halfway around the world in a different culture with a different language, and we know all about Abraham, but none of us know 
who this guy is, much less how to pronounce his name. So we know the second promise is true. But here's the third promise, and we find this in verse three. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And don't miss this, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. In other words, all peoples, meaning every nation, every people group to live from this point on, they're gonna be influenced, they're gonna be blessed because of you and your descendants, Abraham. I'm gonna do something through you that is so significant, it is going to bless everyone. And when you look at history, you can't argue that that's been true. Now, here's the part that's really personal for you and for me. And it addresses this tension that every one of us have felt about where do we stand with God. So time passes, and Abraham and Sarah, they become even older. And they still didn't have a child. I mean, we're not talking about a year. We're talking about years later. And they begin to doubt, and they begin to question if God would do what he said. I mean, they're older. And Abraham begins to think, man, I'm gonna die one day. And we have no children. And we're supposed to be this great nation for God. And so he's thinking, well, my chief servant, Eliezer, he's the only guy that will be the person to inherit what I have. So he's praying one night because he's thinking about this. He's stressed about this, I'm sure. And he's trying to figure out what the plan is gonna be. So he's thinking, okay, what do I do? How do I do this? So he's praying one night in desperation, really. It's kind of like what we do when we find ourselves heartbroken, desperation, we feel like God has promised us something and he's not coming through. So Abraham's praying. And here's what God told him in Genesis chapter 15, beginning in verse four. Then the word of the Lord came to Abraham. This man, referring to Eliezer, will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And then God says, and let me affirm how, how crazy this is gonna be, but it's gonna be an amazing blessing. He goes, look outside. So he did. He says, now look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. I mean, now, th this is such an amazing reminder from God. This is such an amazing reminder from God to Abraham that God is going to do what he promised. He takes Abraham outside and he tells him, hey, look up. Because when you look up, what happens? I mean, you're absolutely left in a wonder, aren't you? Or when you look up, especially at night, there's just this incredible sense of awe. I mean, have you ever done that at night where you're out in the country and there's no light pollution and there's just stars just filling the sky and you look up and it's just this amazing reminder of, wow, look at all of that. God is so much bigger than I ever, I can even imagine. And he's so amazing. He created all this. He sustains all this. He holds all this together. That's just so amazing. Like the one who created the stars in the sky is gonna have no problem with my problem. Because if he can do all that, my big problem is gonna be like a little problem to him. And then he says to Abraham, he says, I want you to count these stars. And I'm sure Abraham looks up at the sky like many of us would have done when we were younger and said, one, you know, tried to count all the stars. You ever tried to do that? And eventually it's like, oh, that's just impossible. I mean, because these stars, they stretch from horizon to horizon, right? And now we know that there's more stars than we can count. In fact, I read somewhere that they estimate there are like 10,000 stars for every grain of sand on the earth. 
I mean, that's just mind-boggling, isn't it? And God says to Abraham, hey, hey, can you count them? And Abraham's like, no. Well, listen to the last part of verse three. He's three, he says, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Like Abraham, I know that you're old. And I know that you've got older since I even made this promise. And I know you don't have a son, but I am inviting you to trust me. Because Abraham, I've got a plan, and I am going to do what I promised I will do. You're gonna have a son, your family is gonna become a great nation, and you're gonna have more descendants than you can even count. And then something very personal happened. And this is where your story and my story intersects with Abraham's story. Because it is the first time in recorded history that God defines the terms of how a relationship between God and man are going to work. So if you've ever wondered, how do I know if I'm good with God? How do I know where I stand with God? If you ever wondered, can anybody know? I'm not sure about anybody can know. Here's your answer in Genesis 15, verse 6. Abraham believed, literally he trusted fully. Trusted so fully that he was willing to commit his life to follow God's plan and God's timing for that plan. Abraham believed the Lord and he, referring to the Lord, credited it to Abraham as righteousness. Now that is an amazing statement because you gotta remember this statement was made before Moses. This was made before the Ten Commandments, any of that stuff. Here it is in simple terms. Abraham chose to trust God would keep his promises and do what he said he would do. And because Abraham believed, trusted God completely, because of that single simple act, God said, that's all I need. I'm crediting that to you as righteousness. I'm giving you the gift of being in a right standing with me. Everything is good between us. Like that little incident in Egypt with your wife, Sarah, that was so embarrassing. I'm not holding it against you. Now I know Sarah is, but I'm not. <laughs> like that whole thing you're gonna do with your wife's future servant, maid, handmaid, well, let's not even go there. But here's the thing, it's not gonna end our relationship because of that. I accept you because you have fully trusted and chosen to follow me. My plan, my timing, my will. And here's what God wants all of us to know, and that is this. Trusting fully in God results in a right standing with God. It's that simple. Trusting fully in God results in a right standing with God. But here's what's happened over the years. That message has been lost. See, Judaism started teaching, no, 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 no. This is not true. You have to be a Jew to be in right standing with God. You gotta be born in the right family or in the right family lineage and, and you need to start following all the laws, all 614 of the laws. So Judaism came along and said, no, that's not true. Islam came along and Muhammad said, no, the way you have a right standing with God is you believe in the one true God and his prophets and you do acts of righteousness. And at the end of your life, you're good and you're bad. They're gonna be measured by Allah and he's gonna determine if you have a right standing. But that's not what Jesus taught. 
In fact, John, who was like Jesus' best friend, the apostle John, this is what he recorded that Jesus taught. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes literally trusts in Jesus completely. Saying, Jesus, I trust you with my whole life, with your plan, your timing, your will. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Abraham believed, and God credited that to him for righteousness. Jesus came along and says, no, whoever believes, whoever fully trusts, just like Abraham, shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus said, trust, faith in God results in a right standing with God. Now, here's what's interesting about this. About 30 minutes after Jesus left the earth, his early followers, they started arguing about, is this really true? It can't be true. And on and on throughout history, people have tried to make this more complicated than what God said it was. I mean, they argued it was determined by birth. Like you had to be born a Jew or you had to be born into a certain family or they said it was no, it was determined by behavior or it was determined by belief. But that's not what God said. He says it's trust. It's by faith. In fact, the apostle Paul, he reaffirmed this truth about our faith whenever he was writing to Christ followers in Rome and also to the church at Galatia. We're gonna look at the, the thing that he says to the church at Rome. Notice what he says in Romans chapter four. He says, now to the one who works, Wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. So he says, it's not based on your works. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly. And the word justifies the ungodly means that God credits into our account his righteousness. So we stand before God just as if we were never, had never sinned. He says, however, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. So the apostle Paul affirms this. And the big question is, is like, why would God give us that kind of gift? I mean, this amazing gift of righteousness, replacing our unrighteousness, the ungodly. He justifies the ungodly. So his amazing gift of grace gives us his righteousness to replace our unrighteousness. In fact, the apostle Paul, he explains this even more in verse 16 of this same passage. He says, therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, meaning the Jewish people, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. So he said, it's available to anyone who says, God, I trust you. It's why the first question that we asked the first week, who is Jesus, matters so much. Because it's saying, Jesus, I trust you. I trust you with all my being. But that seems so simple, doesn't it? Like grace, God, you're just giving us grace. We can't believe that God would just make it this easy. That he would say, hey, it's not about who you're related to. It's not about how you behave or what you believe, what kind of belief systems and all those kind of things. It's just simple. Will you trust me? Will you put all of your faith in me? And when we say put all your faith, we mean Jesus is saying, will you surrender control of your life to me? Will you submit to my will and my timing and my plan for your life? 
Will you surrender it all and say, Jesus, I'm gonna follow you. And Jesus says, if you'll trust me, surrender it all. Say, God, your will, your plan, your purpose fulfilled through me. Jesus says, you're in good standing with me. You're in right standing with me. What that means for us is this. The starting point for a relationship with God is trust. So if you want to start a new journey of faith, if you want to reignite your faith, if you want to grow in your faith and have this mature adult faith that can stand the storms of life, adult-sized storms, it starts with trust. The starting point for a relationship with God is trust. It's really as simple as saying, God, I believe you. I believe, Jesus, that you are the King of kings, that you are the Lord of lords. I believe that you're the Savior of the earth, and I believe that you are who you say you are and that you will do what you say you will do. And you go, can it be really that simple? Well, God says it is. So we got a challenge for you this week. We got some homework for you, especially those of you who are in a small group. Um, man, we'd love for you to have this conversation in your small group. The rest of you can do this with some friends this week or family at lunch today. And I would just say to all of you who are students, and I challenge you as students to wrestle with this question that I'm gonna give you because this question is part of having a strong foundation of having this mature adult faith in life. So here's your homework question. Everybody ready? Here's the question. Which of the following best reflects your view? God accepts me based on birth, based on behavior, or based on beliefs? Like, what do you believe? God accepts me because of who I'm related to, because of the race I am, or because I was born to Christian parents? Or God accepts me because based on what I, how I behave, like what I haven't done or what I have done? Or is it God accepts me based on a set of beliefs that I hold? Or, or maybe for some of you, it was a combination of one or two or three of these. But, but I want you to be honest. I want you to talk about what has your view been in the past? Not, not your view after you heard today's conversation, but be honest with yourself about what your view has been in the past. And then once you're out of here today and you realize, wow, he almost had me convinced that the starting point for relationship with God is trust. I really want you to think about, hey, which model did you grow up with? Which one are you the most comfortable with? Which one do you find yourself leaning toward? Because that's what you're gonna to lean toward during the storms of life. And if your relationship with God, if you believe your relationship with God, your right standing with God is based upon what line you're, or people group you were born into or what behaviors or belief system you hold to, then you're always gonna have this weak faith. But after you've processed this question of what you believed before, Will you consider embracing and living by this truth that the starting point for a relationship with God, it really is trust. And after you've processed, I want you to understand, the starting point for a relationship with God, it's not the only foundation, but it is part of the foundation for a mature adult faith. So wrestle with this this week and then come back next week and we're gonna pick up on this conversation right here because here's what you're gonna discover. Every week, we're gonna put more pieces of this puzzle together so that when we're done with this conversation, you can have this incredible, strong, mature faith that can withstand the adult storms of life. But more than that, be in a great love relationship with God.
That's what we want for you. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this incredible opportunity to have this conversation, to have this conversation as a church for those who are trying to figure out how to start their faith journey, for those who are trying to figure out how to restart their faith journey, God, for those who are trying to figure out how to reignite their faith journey. God, I pray that you help us each week to wrestle with these questions, especially this question of what our view of being in a right standing with you was. Because God, when we're in stress behavior, when we're under pressure, our tendencies go back to one of those old belief systems. But today, God, we want to wrestle with that and, and understand uh, why didn't line up with what you said and then lean in to the starting point of a relationship with you. It really is built on trust of saying, God, I trust that you are who you say you are and you will do what you say you'll do. Because of that, I trust you. Open my hands, open my heart, open my life up to you. I surrender everything. I choose to follow you. And I choose to wait on you for your timing and for your plan and your purpose to be fulfilled through my life. Thank you for what you're gonna do in and through my life as I lean in by faith to follow you. Thank you, God, for your amazing grace because it is an amazing grace, gift. And we give you thanks for it in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, everyone, thanks so much for being with us today. Can't wait for you to be with us for the rest of the series. See you next Sunday.